Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Coming to you, I imagine most of you will be listening to this on Halloween. So, hope you have a safe and enjoyable holiday. Uh, depending on where you're listening from, of course. If you're listening in, you know, the wrong side of the international dateline, yeah, I'm catching you on the wrong day, but sorry about that. Uh, for the majority of my audience, because I kind of know your geography, uh, hope you enjoy it. Hope you have a good holiday. On the agenda this evening, should be a fairly short show. Uh, last night, UFC on ESPN plus 71. Yeesh. We'll do a little bit of talking about the world of boxing because, one, I want to praise Vasily Lomachenko because he's awesome. And, well, there was Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva, and I didn't make an official prediction about that. The actual date of the fight kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize it was... um, I know it was coming up, but I forgot exactly which Saturday it was. I might have even thought it was in November. Either way, didn't make an official prediction, probably wouldn't have anyway, but it's in the books, and because it involves Anderson Silva and Jake Paul and whatnot, I'll talk about it a little bit. And this coming week, UFC on ESPN plus 72, yeesh. What do you want me to say, guys? It's uh, it's a dead couple of weeks. Uh, The UFC is trying to load up their pay-per-views, and the fight nights in between are suffering. A lot. But full preview, of course, to come. All right. Before we get into the show proper, please like, comment, subscribe, if that's all relevant. Star rating, written review, if that's relevant. If you've done all that, please share. Let people know about the show. Uh, that helps a lot. I know there's a, uh, I know a few new people have been here recently, so I thank you. I welcome you if you're new. Hope you're yeah, enjoying, you, enjoying, uh, enjoying your stay, and happy to have you around. All right. Yeah, the boilerplate there's out of the way. Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 71. For the fourth time in 2022, we had a main event and via injury. Um, I believe three of those are knee injuries. Arnold Allen defeats Calvin Cater via knee injury, TKO, eight seconds of the second round. The relevant injury happened in the first round. I'll talk about that in a second. You know, let me talk about the fight. Let's talk about this now. So... We've had, again, four main events fall apart due to injury, like in the fight. Three of those have been knee injuries. Uh, This one, obviously. If you go back in time, you'll recall a couple of these other ones. Um, Tom Aspinall's knee exploding, like, 20 seconds less into that fight with uh, Curtis Blades. We had um, one that really bummed me out, actually. Uh, Alexander Rakic and Jan Blahovic in the third round. Rakic's knee uh, injured it and couldn't continue. Uh, that sucked because that fight was kind of heating up. They were one round apiece going into the third. It was your main event. There were five rounds, but it was a good fight. Now, it, it, was, you know, it was heating up. It was looking to be good. This one, obviously. And bonus points if you can remember the fourth. Um, I'm going to tell you, but bonus points if you... Having to keep track of that thing. Um, when Brian Ortega's shoulder dislocated when fighting Yair Rodriguez, that was the main event of that particular card. Now, obviously, there have been other injury-related finishes in the month, in the year, but four in a calendar year, or you know, in a 
I'm going to say calendar year. I don't mean it's like foreign 2022. Um, that's kind of a lot. I mean, this most recent one marked 13 main events that have ended due to an injury like that. Um, I don't know how you... I don't know if they qualify... If they include, like, I broke a leg when my kick got checked kind of thing. Because I don't consider that an injury so much as inflicted by the other opponent, by the, the opponent. But, yeah, landing wrong and your knee blowing out, freak accident. Or, you know, in Ortega's case, you know, his shoulder was, it wasn't a TJ Dillashaw thing where, like, yeah, my shoulder's been screwed for, you know, eight months. And I just, you know, wanted to wanted to go through with it. Uh, his shoulder, I know his shoulders had issues in the past. Um, but that's not, one, that's not terribly uncommon. And two, again, they, they were not injured coming into the fight. They were injured during the fight. And... Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah. So, yep, sidetrack thinking about Rodri uh, thinking about the comparisons there, sorry. Mine's a little bit awkward. Too close to a holiday. Too close to the holidays. So, we got another one of those here, where in, this, in the first round, which Allen was winning before the injury that happens to Cater here, um, wasn't blowing Cater out of the water, but he was winning the round. Pretty decent calf kicks. There were open stance, so you know it's not quite as impactful when you're able when you're kind of you know doing the step up into the outside, which is what he was doing. Not quite as impactful as swinging you know the power leg all the way around, but they still they're still like good. Landed a couple of good flurries. You know he was looking sharp. And he was looking really sharp. Cater, you know, Cater tends to give away the first round. You know, he he doesn't usually have a good first round. Um, not so that he never wins them, but that's usually a slower round of his. He tends to cook more as the fight goes on. His jab was starting to show up, and he was firing back. He landed some punches. You know, it was a, it was a fight, but it was Allen's round. And then Cater tries ye old flying knee. And he misses. And Allen, so if I'm Cater and I throw this, Allen circles to my left. Cater turns his body, his upper body, as he's flying through the air. Now, that's not always the worst thing in the world because you want to keep your eye on your opponent. The problem is, he doesn't really, he partially gets his hips around and he doesn't move his legs. So his knee comes down and when he lands after jumping, his foot is facing the direction he started, right? And his body is twisting to his own left. So again, counterclockwise, if you want to think about the rotation, if you're looking from above. That puts, again, external... It sort of puts external torque on the knee joint, right? If you think about a heel hook, a heel hook rotates your foot and your knee internally, and it's terrible, it'll destroy your knee, but it isolates the joint and then rotate stuff in the direction it's not meant to rotate, but internally. 
The inside heel hook is much more dangerous and much more devastating when done properly. That rotates externally. Right? The, in this case, it was his body weight moving around the pivot point rather than leverage at the end of the joint turning it, but the effect is still the same. You are not, your knee is not built to take lateral or rotational force that way, certainly not up by itself, and he just lands wrong. He lands wrong, and his knee is immediately hurt, visibly hurt. Like, he drops, he gets back up because the man is tougher than the proverbial $2 steak. But he's limping on it. He kind of shakes it out a little bit. Round ends. He goes back between rounds. And why they allowed this to continue is utterly, utterly, utterly beyond me. Look. TJ's corner after the first round of that fight with Sterling. I yelled about them even letting TJ take that fight. I, I did. You can listen to my review of UFC 280 if you want my full thoughts on that. At a bare minimum between rounds, they should have stopped that. They should have. They absolutely should have. There's no reason for that. And there was somebody else. Another guy on this card? Or some other fight recently where you had a pretty obvious injury to a fighter. And no one seemed to care. Like The doctor comes in and does kind of a peripheral check on everything. Doesn't do anything about it. The quarter clearly doesn't care. And we send this poor guy out on one leg. Eight seconds into the... More like seven seconds into the next round. Allen just lands an outside calf kick on the lead leg. Not even the damaged leg. As Cater, you know, has to readjust his balance and plant more weight on his back leg. That's what you do when you get kicked. There's, an, there's some incredible, like, videos that have been isolated of this. It's horrific. Like, you, you can see things go out of place and then either snap back or something that's, you know, under tension gives. He drops again, clutching his knee, and we're done, and that should never have happened. Like, I don't know... I, I don't know what happened in with the first injury. I can guess. I'm not a doctor. So, understand that I'm guessing here. But here would be my guess. Some ligament in his knee, probably the ACL, probably but not necessarily, could be the PCL. It's a little bit harder to tweak that one, but it does happen. Um, MCL or LCL? A little bit less likely, from my understanding. But one of the major, one of those very important ligaments that holds your... Knee, hold your leg together there behind your knee was damaged either fully torn or partially torn and that's bad they sent him back out there and if something was not already if the if the injured ligament was only partially torn I, I would guarantee you it tore fully at the end there I would guarantee that. If there was something, if that, if one ligament was torn fully, I'd be willing to bet something else got tweaked in there at the end. Um, 
Yeah, well, that's a... Again, there's video of it. You can find it. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm at WinFreeMMA. If you follow me there, I've kind of posted some of the videos and whatnot, if you want to see it. Like, that's bad. That's really, really bad. Um, and he only made it... Like, that second bit did not have to happen, did not have to make it worse, and you made it worse. Right, so Cater's going to be out for a while. You know, ACL's... Assuming it's an ACL or something similar, and I assume something similar at a minimum. Nine months. It's a nine-month thing, generally speaking. So he's going to be out for a while. And that's... Again, I'm not sure it had to happen. I'm not sure it had... It did not have to be made worse by coming out for the second round. I, I, there's, that's all it did. All that did was make it worse. For no reason. So sucks for Cater. You know, this is the first time this is the first TKO loss of Cater's career. This is an injury, but I don't know why he went back out there, man. Like you don't have to prove you're tough. Nobody in their right mind doubts the toughness of Calvin Cater. Nobody. That guy took a historic beating from Max Holloway and never went down. Think about that for a second. Go rewatch that fight. One, that fight should have been stopped. Two, all that punishment, it's a lot. And he never drops. I don't even think Josh Emmett dropped him. Josh Emmett bombed on him a little bit. And Josh Emmett has power. Ugh, nothing to prove, man. So, wish him the best in his recovery. Unfortunate for Arnold Allen, who looked good. For as long as this fight lasted, he looked good. Um... Unfortunately, he said, kind of a joke after, that emerged about this after the fact. And he's asked, what do you want next? He said, well, you know, I'd like to I'd like to fight the champion Volkanovski, but if Volkanovski's going up to lightweight, and that's kind of the plan at the moment, is for him to get a, a shot with Makashev. You know, that's the plan. And then, you know, an interim belt might make sense, and it might this, might, this is a circumstance where it might make sense. I, I can get behind that. But Michael Bisbee was like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let you off the hook that easy. Who do you want to fight? And you could see, almost like as a joke, like he didn't know anybody who's like ranked above him. I think he mentioned like Max Holloway. And I love Max. You know, I'm, I'm well on record with my respect for Max Holloway. But... You know, again, like the guys ranked above him and ranked most relevant for this discussion would be Josh Emmett and Yair Rodriguez. And he's like, no, I don't know who the... You kind of see it in his head, like, I don't know who those guys are. I know who the champion is. That's kind of it. Um, I don't know what Emmett's health status is. I know he got busted up in that Cater fight, whereas Rodriguez is relatively healthy and probably ready for a quicker turnaround after the fight with Ortega. I'm down for Arnold Allen and Yair Rodriguez. Uh, I think that's a very good fight. Um, again, this is somewhat pursuant to Emmett's health. Uh, so I'm making a bit of an assumption there. But I'd be down for any combination of those three guys. You could do you could do an interim title fight with that. I mean, an interim title fight in this case, you could argue it's a glorified number one contenders ship. The caveat here being... If Volkanovski wins the lightweight title, and while I might favor Makashev, my initial hunch is to favor him, for the record, 
If Volkanovski wins, and he very, again, he very well might. He's that good. But if he wins... I know he did the I'm going to defend both belts thing. You're not. You're just not. Look, I, I appreciate the ambition. I'm not even... I don't even think he's making this argument in bad faith. I don't think he's sitting here spouting stuff that he knows to be untrue. I do think, however, that it's not really feasible to defend two titles in two active weight classes on a reasonable schedule. And lightweight and featherweight are both very, very good divisions. So, I, I just don't think it's feasible. And that's not a knock on Volkanovski. I don't think anyone could do it. So... We might wind up. He would have. To, he would probably have to make a choice. And at that point, if he chooses lightweight, you could, you would have a champion that could be promoted very easily, and you'd have a degree of continuity there that you that might be helpful for divisional cohesion. So anyway, main event. That was it. Um, yeah, unfortunate. Unfortunate. You know, first round was good before the injury. Again. Heating up. I liked where it was going. Uh, I'm trying to spoil some of this. This was not a very good card. There were some. There were some good finishes to be had, especially on the prelims. We got some finishes, but uh, which is fine. Uh, but man, some of them came in like less than good fights, and the broadcast for this, they struggled badly to fill airtime. Um, the vamping from either the analyst desk or the commentary team as they tried to fill this stuff, they need to have better stuff ready to go. They really, really do. Because this... Um, there was a lot of downtime here that was just boring. It was just unbearably boring. All right, co-main event. Max Griffin defeats Tim Means via split decision. There was a 29-28 for each man, and then a 30-27 for Griffin. 30-27 seems a bit much. Um, I thought Means had the third. I believe it was the third. Uh, and I don't even necessarily hate the split. Um, second round, yeah, I can see it, sort of. Uh, I, guess, I thought Griffin won this fight. I scored it for him. So, no issues with that. Um, not a bad fight. You know, Means a bit of a slow starter. Griffin has some gas tank issues, so that's kind of why he gave up the third. But Means, he's got good takedown defense. It's a little bit, it's not as bad as it used to be. It used to be, uh, it's not that anymore. But he kind of struggles to get out from under guys now. And I don't know if that's a shift in meta understanding from top control or... Uh, which it could be. I mean, that's certainly been a thing. Or, or what it is exactly, but he struggled a little bit with being controlled. Um, not a terrible fight. Uh, solid win for Griffin. Griffin's on a bit of a run at the moment. He's what? Okay, he just lost a split decision to Neil Magny. He had won three in a row before that. Like, he's, he's finding himself, so good for him. Um, heavyweights, God help us. 
Waldo Cortez Acosta defeated Jared Vanderov. Unanimous decision, 130-27 to 29-28. So I technically scored this for Vanderov, but... Look, I gave Vanderov the first, and I'm well aware that's a somewhat... Uh, you can argue that. I thought his calf kicks were more impactful than anything Cortez Acosta did. Where I was sitting. Um, that said... I don't object to Cortez Acosta getting it. I don't object to him winning. Um, not sure about 30-27. The second round I thought Vandera had pretty clearly. Um, Vandera had leg kicks, and they were good, and they clearly bothered Cortez Acosta, but he never built off of them. And he wasn't able to string enough of them together to actually get the stoppage via that technique. And if you're not building off of that technique and you're not going to stop anybody with it, then you know, over the long haul, that kind of falls apart. Uh, Cortez Acosta has some decently fast hands. When he got his jab going kind of late in the fight, you know, didn't look awful. But, boy, his right hand is not great. He is swinging fastballs. His crappy heavyweights. Dude, the, they brought this up. I forget where I saw this, but it's, it's from some UFC broadcast. Like, here's all the heavyweights that have come off of Dana White's contender series. You know, let, me, let me find the list, because this is amusing. Okay, here it is. So, Jared Vandera, who's on a five-fight losing streak. Uh, Mick Parkin, Josh Parisian, Rodrigo Nascimento, Dante Mays, Austin Lane, Waldo Cortez Acosta, Martin Bidet, Lucas Breschke, and Jailton Almeida. You know how many of those people are good? Like, actually good? You have one. Jailton Almeida, who's... Almeida's pretty good. Like, <laughs> the rest of those people are not good. You're just drawing attention to it. It's kind of hilarious. I mean... Uh, like Nascimento, I think, is on a losing streak. Mays is at best 50-50. Vander is on a giant losing streak. Josh Parisian... I think is on is technically a losing fighter in the UFC. I have to double-check that. Bidet has had one or two fights in the UFC. He might be one and one. I mean... Has Parkin actually fought in the UFC? By this logic, he must have, but I don't remember. He might be signed, but he might, I don't remember him if he has. That's... The old puppy mill has churned out some heavyweights who definitely exist. Uh, yeah, this fight sucked. Middleweights! Um, Treshawn Gore defeated Josh Fremd via technical submission from a guillotine choke 49 seconds in the second round. Um, I maintain Treshawn Gore is not being done any favors by being in the UFC this junior into his career. Uh, he did okay in the first round, but that was, a lot of that was not going his way. Um, second round, Fremd goes in for a takedown. Gore tries to dissuade him with a guillotine. We scrambled up out from under. And then grabbed a guillotine. I think that was it. Um, Fremd realizes he's in trouble as they kind of stand, and Gore starts sinking in the standing variation. Fremd kicks off the fence. He's trying to give his back. You, you roll to your back if you're being guillotined because you theoretically release the pressure. 
Gore's choke was so deep, he just held that thing. And as he rolled, he just forced Fremd down to his back, and he's kind of on one knee, more or less, beside him, still holding the choke kind of like a... Instead of a bulldog choke where you're, you know, facing the same direction, if you put that in, like, the guillotine choke... I don't mean pulling the head backwards, but, you know, off to the side like that. Uh, put him to sleep. It was a nasty choke. Uh, credit for that. But I I just don't think this is the right place for Gore at this point in his career. Um, solid finish, though. Light heavyweights, this sucked, the decision. Khalil Roundtree defeats Dustin Jacoby via split decision, 29-28. Um... Yeah, I I gave Jacoby the first two and then Roundtree the third. I don't understand what was so hard about this one. Like, okay, Roundtree's got big power. But he ne like he didn't hurt Jacoby until the third. He was outstruck. I hate to bring up the I'm not even gonna rest on the on the um, number argument because the judges don't have access to that information. But I am going to say that even if I didn't have to look at the numbers, like, Jacoby was not only busier, he was more effective in both of those first two rounds. Um, one of the dissenting judges here was also one of the judges who scored the Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley fight for Sean O'Malley. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Ben Cartledge. This is a guy that a lot of people have gone to bat for in some respects. Uh, people saying after he got hired, after it was like, oh, he'll be you know doing more UFC stuff. No good. He's a great judge. Um, I've seen you know the I've seen that. I've seen other people kind of mention, yeah, you know, we've I've talked to him. He's been a bit open with you know conversations. Um, yeah, he's not off to the strongest track record here. Just throwing that out there. I mean, you guys can say, you guys can like him all you want. This is the second eh, dubious card he's turned in in as many weeks, basically. I don't know. I, I mean, again, like, I'm, I'm more willing to entertain arguments for O'Malley, believe it or not, having actually not gone back and rewatched that fight. I still disagree with them, but I can, I can understand the O'Malley argument a little bit better now. I'm really struggling here. Like, you've got to seriously overvalue some of what uh, Roundtree did. And I mean seriously overvalue it. Um, yeah, did not understand this one at all. Sucks for Roundtree because as he's trying to give his post-fight interview, there's some... We're at the apex, right? So there's some jackass in the crowd yelling about the judges audibly. And he, he actually like has to look over at him and tell him to shut up. He's not responsible for the scoring, guys. I mean, I get it. I get that even this guy wasn't even yelling at Roundtree. He was just pissed off about the decision. And I sympathize. Uh, I thought Jacoby won. I didn't. I didn't see this as being split. Just to be candid, didn't see it at all. Um. Yeah, I got. I got nothing. I got nothing for this one. Um, Jacoby outworked Roundtree in the first two rounds. Roundtree, you know, he's got power, but he fades, man. His footwork especially kind of falls apart. He stops moving. Um, Jacoby did walk into punches. You know, it's not like Jacoby was 
you know, some elusive magician. He was getting tagged on occasion, but he just, not only was busier, he was more effective, unless you're counting cosmetic damage, which isn't actually the criteria. Criteria in that case, if you look, if you look at it, publicly available documents, by the way, it's not damage in the cosmetic sense, which is one of the reasons I kind of again, didn't really agree with O'Malley getting the first in that fight with Jan. Not sure what his damage was actually like damage. That makes sense. Um, so sucks for sucks for Jacoby, who had a really good run going. Uh, but you know, it's it's lower end. Even though Jacoby was ranked, it's, it's still like lower end late heavyweight, which is not a great division in any way. Um, that was your main card. So again, not great. And that wasn't a bad fight. Round three and Jacoby's not a bad fight. Sort of independent of the decision. Nice finish. Terrible fight. Decent fight between Griffin and Means, and then an unfortunate ending to the main event. As for the prelims, Roman Delidze defeated Phil Hosvi, a knockout, brutal knockout, actually. Punches 409 to the first, should never have gotten to this point. Alright. So, uh, fight's going, you know, kind of back and forth, guys feeling each other out. Um, Delidze winds up after they tie up, he kind of pulls guard. A little bit of an interesting choice. Might have been a balance issue there, and he just kind of figured, well, if I'm going to go down, I want to be, you know, full guard. Which is fair enough, man. That happens. Um, he started throwing elbows from his back right away. He, he got some pretty good steam on them, too. He throws up an armbar. Doesn't like it. Transitions to, again, kind of inverting for a leg lock. And he hits the weird, one of the weirder leg locks I've seen. He gets the leg isolated, almost like he's clearly starting going for a knee bar. Right? This is the intent. So if you ever seen a knee bar, you get your legs around the thigh, isolate. You want the hip, you want their knee to be around your hip level. Then arch your hips, pull back, you hyperextend the knee. That's how the knee bar works. That's what he was going for. He couldn't rotate everything over enough to really get the knee in proper position. And uh, Hawes is kind of based out anyway, so we're not, like, knee bars kind of work, do they work best? I, I don't know if best, but it's okay with a knee bar to be, like, on the same line as your opponent, right? You can be either all the way back from them, so, you know, uh, you, your head's running pointing opposite directions in that sense, but you're in one line, or if you get on top and kind of pull it the other way, you know, to... You know, that attacks the hamstring as well. But it's okay to, you know, kind of be in that in that position line-wise. With an armbar by way of counterpoint, you want to be perpendicular. It's hard to get perpendicular on any bar, but he kind of was here as uh, Hawes, again, he kind of based out with his, it was right leg that was attacked. So his left leg's out, he's kind of basing. And say again, he can't quite get all the way over for the knee bar, but he's here, he's committed. He figures, all right, I'll just turn this because he's got a big clamp. He's got a good clamp going on the leg, right? Because you're going for the knee bar. So if you you got a good clamp on the thigh for a degree of control, he just kind of grabs the ankle and mimicking a heel hook, he rotates 
the knee. He rotates the ankle. That's uh, going to be outward. Technically, that's ad, um, abduction. Or the abdu abductors are muscles, but when something is moving away from the body, it's you know, use the abd prefix. When it's coming in, it's ad. Um, so, you know, if you're working your hip, abductors, that's coming in. Adductors are going out. In this instance, he starts rotating that. So, again, if you kind of have your knee up and you bend it, he's taking, he's rotating it kind of away from the body. And it's weird and as he's kind of, he kind of developed a little bit slowly. And as he starts going, like, that doesn't look pleasant. You can kind of see, like, something's not right here. This is, it's not a full-on heel hook, um, pretty obviously, but the attack is mimicking what the heel hook does in terms of isolating. You need control of the knee line when you do a heel hook, right? You need control of the knee line so they can't just roll through and remove the pressure. You need to isolate the knee so that when you turn the ankle and the lower body, the upper, the upper leg, so again, the humerus doesn't move. The, it's the tibula that's up there. I forget which, because one of them's bigger at the base, one of them's bigger at the top, and I forget which is which, so forgive me. But then you want, I'm going to say the tibula just for the sake of argument here, and if I'm wrong, forgive me. My anatomy's a little rusty. And then as you rotate that, so the humerus, or the femur rather, humerus in the arm, the femur doesn't move, and... The, the tibula does, and that applies pressure to the ligaments in your knee that try to stabilize everything, and that's what why the heel hook works that way. He had control of the knee line here, right? He had a good enough clamp on the thigh to kind of stop the movement of the hip to alleviate pressure. Just instead of having to go all the way to the heel to kind of leverage and then twist in that respect, he... Everything got bigger, if you, if you think about it mechanically. So his his grip for control is a little bit higher up on the leg, but it's still serving the purpose if you then change the leverage point from the heel twisting for leverage to the full-on ankle cranking up and out. If that makes any sense. Look up a look up a clip of it. You can find it online. It makes sense. It, this is a much more visual thing than it is something I can explain. But he cranks that sucker. And Hawes gives a little shout of pain, audibly. And you can see his knee give. Something in there is not happy. That should have been the end of it. A verbal cry of pain constitutes a verbal submission. The referee should have stopped this fight right there. Straight up, full stop. That should have been it. Hawes doesn't want to, you know, he... That, that hits, right? So the knee gives, partially because the knee gives, partially because he kind of yells. Delidze lets go, slash loses a little. Again, like once the knee gives when you're doing a heel look, it's actually easier to pull your leg free because part of the biomechanical tension that's keeping you from being able to do so is now gone. Uh, he gets his leg, he gets his leg free. Kind of hops back to the fence, and Delitze does not jump on him. He's like, the ref halfway gets in here, and Hawes kind of says, no, I want to keep going. Again, that should have been taken out of his hands because of what he did. You yell in pain, that's a submission. It's in the rules. 
He wants to keep going, so he kind of walks out the initial, you know, damage, and that leg is still giving him problems, so Delidze pushes him back into the fence after a little bit and just lands, like, three clean hooks in close. Drops him stiff. He's gonna, um, I always feel bad when I point this out because, you know, fighters are out there giving their all, and then when something like this happens, they get memed. And... I don't think it's always as mean-spirited as fighters take it. Sometimes it is. Let me be very clear about that. Sometimes it's very mean-spirited. But fighters are also very sensitive people. And sometimes it's just, look, this happened. We're going to make fun of... We're going to meme it. Uh, MMA is a very large and very active online community. More so than a lot of other sports. And... Again, that's something MMA has. And the internet community of anything memes the crap out of everything. It's what they do. This poor guy whose knee is destroyed, and that should have been it, is now, you know, partially by his own choices, partially by decisions made by the referee and whatnot, gets knocked out with the dumbest look on his face. And I feel so bad for him. Because, again, this is going to get memed. And this is what happens. I, I still feel bad for him. Again, that, he should never should have taken those punches to the head. This fight should have been over well before that happened. I give him credit for wanting to continue, but that that should not have happened. Just, that's brain trauma he did not need to take. Good win for Roman Delidze. Delidze? What's he doing recently? Yeah, he's only lost once ever. He's on a three-fight winning streak. The last two of those have been finishes. Um, he's doing good. He's doing some good stuff. Um, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, we're still at heavyweight. Submits Andre Arlovsky via rear naked choke, 150 of the first. Andre Arlovsky does not, I repeat, does not tie Jim Miller's record for all-time wins in the UFC. But Andre Arlovsky makes like, doesn't he make like, what is he? He has a flat rate. Last time the purses were disclosed. Arlovsky does... I don't think Arlovsky had show and win. I think he was flat. I'm not sure, but I think he was like... Is that like 150 flat? Or was like 300 flat? I forget. He might have been 150 and 150. But, you know, I mean, that joke's been going around for a long time. Like, what Andre Arlovsky makes per fight would... Would fund an entire like prelim card or a full like top to bottom card of Dana White consent contender series guys. Um, solid win for Delima. You know, uh, I don't know that he's ever actually going to amount to much at heavyweight. He's kind of been around for a long time. He's been up and down, but you know, to his credit, he beats Arlovsky here, and Arlovsky's been hard to beat lately. You know, his only loss recently was to Tom Aspinall. Uh, so, yeah, that was that. At least it didn't go long. At least it didn't go long. Um, Junyoung Park defeated Joseph Holmes via rear naked choke, three or four of the second. Park, just kind of a dogged guy. You know, he will engage you on the feet a little bit. If he's, if he's not comfortable there, you know, he'll get takedowns. He got some back control, good riding technique. Punches up, landing, you know, ground and pound and whatnot while riding until the choke opened up. Yeah, solid enough win from Park. Park's, Park's decent. 
Featherweight, I owe an apology to Steve Garcia here, for the record. Uh, Steve Garcia defeats Chase Hooper via TKO 132 of the first. Just a beating. I owe an apology to Mr. Garcia. I was confusing him with, like, two other people. When I said I don't think he should be in the UFC. Now, he's still just two and two in the promotion, for the record. Okay, so two and two. However, he is not who I thought he was. I had not, I did not see a picture of him. Had I seen a picture, I would have known he was not either of the two guys. I was kind of confused. I was half confusing him with a different Steve and half confusing him with a different Garcia. So, I apologize, Mr. Garcia. You are not who I was thinking of when I said I'm not sure you should be in the UFC. Now, at one and two going into this fight, uh, with your only win being over Charlie Ontiveros, I... That's not exactly promising in kind of the general sense. However, again, not the guy I was thinking of. So, my apologies. Um, he beat the crap out of Chase Hooper. Chase Hooper, very good grappler. Another guy who got into the UFC pretty young. In fact, I think he got into the UFC when he was, you know, like 19. I'm not sure how good that is for you. And I I absolutely mean this. Um, if you're a young guy with the opportunity to get into the UFC, I understand there can be some calculus here. I do. But you can take serious damage in the UFC if you're not ready for it. And if you're young, sometimes that's damage that lingers. He got dropped like four times in this fight before the before the stoppage. He got dropped. His striking defense is not good. It's not uh, it's not the worst I've ever seen. I've seen worse. I'm very clear about that. I've seen worse. But once somebody finds an angle to hit him, whether that's a specific punch or again a, a foot position angle or whatnot or whatever when they get a read on his defense it it always works it always works what was what was Garcia landing here they're both southpaws landing a left hook hand so kind of left over and it wasn't it's not truly a hook it's more of a hook than other than another type of punch but he just Moves a little bit to his own left and was swinging his left around the kind of the rear hand guard or front hand guard, excuse me, of Hooper and cracked him in the side of the head. The punch was always there. As soon as when he landed it that first time and hurt Hooper, he went back to that punch and that punch was always there for him. That's a problem. That's a real problem. It doesn't help that when you learn striking, you kind of learn defense. This is so weird, but bear with me for a second. You kind of learn defense last. Again, it's weird, but um, you know, grap most grappling, most grappling, especially jujitsu, is kind of the opposite. When you first start learning it, all you know, all you learn how to do is not get finished. That's not even necessarily active defense. 
you just learn to survive. You learn to not get finished. You still get smoked, you, like, you get smashed, but that's the first thing you learn, how not to get finished. The second thing you learn is active defense. How to shrimp, how to guard retain, how to tie up, you know, stuff like that. The last thing you learn when you learn grappling is how to attack. That's just kind of how it's built and how you learn it given what you're doing. You might go, well, you know, don't, when you start sparring and whatnot in boxing or what have you, don't you learn defense first? Because you know, you're getting hit all the time. Actually, no, believe it or not. It's, it's so much more important if you're teaching someone how to strike to just get them in the mindset and the proper technique of going forward and being offensive. That's not always rewarded in jujitsu. This is largely a sport consideration, but since we're talking about sport application, I'm not saying aggression in jujitsu is not rewarded, but it's not the same thing as aggression in striking. Use boxing specifically, for example. How do you win boxing fights? I'm not saying you can't be a counter striker, but nobody starts that way. You start being aggressive. You ever coached people, especially like amateur scoring system and whatnot? Here's what you want to win an amateur boxing fight. I'll give you a free little bit of advice. Be offensive. That's it. Like there's some fundamental again, there's some technique that you need to have behind this. You can't otherwise you're one of those, you know, goobers that goes in, you know, I've had X hundred street fights, and okay, fine, fight this, you know, fourteen year old kid who's been doing this for you know, eight years, and you get made to look a fool. So I'm assuming you have enough technical know-how to not look like an idiot. But you want strategy? Be offensive. Go forward. Keep your punch count high. Mind your P's and Q's, and you will win most amateur boxing mounts. Again, this is assuming that you, you're not some low-level amateur and they're a high-level amateur there's obviously a distinction there but general rule right like if i were if i were training if i you know, had to I mean, i'm not a coach but hypothetically like okay you know, what advice do i have you if you're fighting another guy of somewhat commensurate amateur boxing experience go forward keep throwing punches that sounds stupid it sounds real easy not easy simple but that's it that'll win you fights that will absolutely win you fights same of amateur kickboxing, whatever. Be the one going forward, and you will win. That's what you teach people. When you teach someone, do you have any idea how many people don't know how to punch? This is a weird thing, but trust me on this. The number of people who don't even know how to make a proper fist is shockingly high. If you, I mean, you're listening to this, so you, you should, I'll stress should, know how to make a proper fist. You would not believe how many people don't. You would not believe how many people don't know how to punch. And I'm not even necessarily talking about real good fluid mechanics. I mean, you tell them to hit a heavy bag, they hit it and they screw their wrist up. Because they're punching with like... Again, they don't line up the proper knuckles with the forearm. They kind of bend it back, so they're kind of thrusting out with the um, the four knuckles, right? With the first medic. Uh, metacarsals. Forgetting, I forget the type. Uh, sorry, but you know what I mean. Like if you if you make a fist, line it up, 
perfectly. Now bend your wrist upward so that first set of knuckles is what you're landing with. That's how most people punch, believe it or not. If you've never seen people have to learn this stuff. They don't know how to punch. You have to teach them how to punch. And then you teach them again. There's a little bit of defense that comes with this. Like, your punch comes out, your punch comes back where it started from. You know how hard that is to get people to do consistently? Heck, I don't do it consistently. I should, but I don't. Like, professional fighters don't do it consistently. Watch some of them. Watch their jabs. Their jabs will go out if they come out straight. Watch how many of them go out straight and then come back down in an arc, leaving this giant target on their head, and then come back up. Like, they, they make it circular instead of linear. Because circular is actually more mechanically sound. You feel better about it. Not just power-wise, but it's actually a little bit easier. So, they do what's easy. Getting people to be offensive correctly in striking is so hard. It's a difficult thing. But and that's what you have to teach them first. Because if you can't land a punch in boxing, it kind of doesn't matter if your defense is good. You have to be able to inflict damage. So this is what you teach first. And there's bits and pieces of defense that come in here. Again, hands in proper position. That's defensive. Hands come back to where they start. That's defensive. That's a defensive responsibility. Um, you know, head movement. You teach some of that... You should, if nothing else. Like you, you teach them to be mindful of that. But getting people to actually react in real time to that is hard. Uh, partially because, I mean, uh, I hate to do this, but there are pad men who I kind of take issue with some of the stuff they do. One of the things you want to do when you're drilling, you know, when you're holding pads, if you're doing the bit where like I throw a punch at you, you know, air quotes around punch, you got a focus mitt on. A lot of them... They don't actually throw it the way you throw a punch. Again, I shouldn't say a lot, but more than you might think. Like good pad men don't do this, don't have this problem. Let me be very clear for the record. Good pad men do not have this problem. I'm not blasting pad men in general. But if this is a this is kind of a tell for you if you're curious about it. If they kind of throw those look at the hand position when they throw those. If they're not mimicking a punch when they throw some of those that they want you to either block or duck under, you're not building the proper responses because you actually do key into some of that stuff. You key into shoulder position and hand position. So if they're kind of doing it not like you would be seeing a punch coming, it's not really as helpful. But again, the point is, a lot of that defense, a lot of that defense... That's what you learn after you know how to win a fight. You win a fight through offense. So defense is kind of the last thing you really dial in on and you really get good at in striking. And I don't exactly know why that is. Again, I, I've got my suspicions. Um, partially because being offensive is more fun. Partially because being offensive is more useful. Man, you got to go win a fight. You better know how to land punches. More so than not get hit, you better know how to land punches. Hopefully you know how not to get hit, but if you cannot land a punch, you will not win. Straight up. You might say, but if you're you know, going to a jiu-jitsu tournament you, you know, and you can't attack, you won't win. 
somewhat true. That actually depends. That depends a lot more on the scoring criteria than you might. I mean, the rules determine who have, who wins anything, just for the record. But it's it's a lot harder to teach people, especially if you start learning grappling. Like you do teach them attacks. The issue is when you start rolling, if you're new, you're not as good as whoever you're rolling with, almost certainly. Other, I mean, I'm not saying there's no value to rolling with someone your own level when you start out, but that doesn't happen all that often. You roll with someone better than you most of the time, and if they're better than you, then they're going to beat you. So you spend a lot of time getting beaten. So what you learn is how to defend. When you start sparring and boxing, you get hit a lot, but it's more important that you know how to throw back in those situations than it is that you know the nuances of shoulder rolling, weaving, and moving around. Like it's it's just more important and more useful to you to know how to throw back in the fire. If you're in grappling, it's more important that you know how to survive than it is you know how to attack because you're going to wind up in a position where you have to survive. So you've got, they're, they're a little bit inverted there. And Hooper, all to come back to Chase Hooper, I know he's working on his striking. I know it because it's looked better in t as time has gone on. But he had better figure out his defense. I don't know if he just wasn't ready for a southpaw because that can throw people off. I mean, southpaw versus southpaw is is technically the thing you train the least. Right? If you're an orthodox fighter, you spend, technically, most of your time fighting orthodox fighters, a little bit of your time fighting southpaws. Southpaws actually spend most of their time fighting open stance, because you're probably going to train with someone who's orthodox. They spend the least amount of time, southpaws do, against closed stance. And it means when they fight each other, there's a lot of stuff that's just weird. Garcia was ready for it. I don't know that Hooper was. And Hooper's head is very static. That's a real problem. Uh, he's He better address that, man. He took a beating here. And... Again, getting into the UFC young, I don't know how many favors it does you. I really don't. Um, good performance out of Garcia. Flyweights. Cody Durden defeats Carlos Moda via unanimous decision. 30-27 and 229 28 Better wrestling out of Durden. And kicking everything off, Christian Rodriguez defeats Joshua Weems via Anaconda Choke, 407 of the first. Nice little finish here from Weems. He defends... Um, on the mat, they kind of scramble up, and Weems goes in for a double leg. Rodriguez threatens a guillotine to kind of deter him. As he kind of forces Weems to his knees via a little bit of a snap down. Oh, there's a... I can transition to an Anaconda here. Transitions... Nice finish from Rodriguez. Uh, Weems took this fight during fight week. He missed weight, but you take a fight on less than a week's notice. One, I think you should argue for a catch weight if you know that that's a struggle for you, but I'm also very, I'm pretty understanding of, you know, guys on day's notice coming in and struggling to make weight. Like, I, I get that. So that was the event. Again, you had some decent finishes here, but... It led to a drag of an event, man. This thing struggled to fill airtime. And then, you know, um, 
Yeah, it, it's just filler. This is a filler card. Just say it out loud. Uh, it's unfortunate the main event ended the way it did because that was the fight that myself, including, uh, I think I include myself and a lot of other people, were looking forward to that one. Unfortunate the way it ended. Um, if you want my full report, it's in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. Uh, your bonuses. There was no fight of the night. A little bit surprised by that. Um, your performances of the night went to Trishan Gore, Roman Delidze, Steve Garcia, and Christian Rodriguez. No issues with that. Uh, so that was, let's see, finish, finish. Not feeling the submissions, huh? Whoever was making this, probably Dana. Well, Gore's, but... Eh. Um, I don't think anyone got screwed there. So, yeah, no issues with that. A little bit surprised Roundtree and Jacoby didn't get fight of the night. A little bit. A little bit. So, yeah, that's it. I already plugged the location, so thank you very much if you did read. I always appreciate it uh, a lot. All right. Let us move on. Well, that took longer than I thought it would. Uh, UFC, uh, let, me, let me talk about this. So, boxing had some stuff over the weekend. First up, if you want to see a good boxing bout from uh, Saturday, uh, Lomachenko versus Ortiz. Very good fight. Ortiz lost the unanimous decision, but he gave Loma a heck of a fight. I would like to see Ortiz and Cambosis next, as far as Ortiz goes. Devin Haney got in the ring after the fact to talk with Lomachenko. They seem to be angling for that. Good. Make the fight. Very good fight. That's two of the better technical fighters you've got in boxing. Would very much like to see that one. Very much. Um... Ortiz really opened my eyes in particular to this one, man. I kind of expected Loma to just do Loma things. And it's not that he didn't, but it took a while for him to start doing them, like late in the fight. It was a good fight. It was a good boxing fight. On the circus side of things, we had Jake Paul and Anderson Silva. Um, I don't want to talk about a whole lot of the rest of this card. It wasn't terribly interesting. Chris Avila beat somebody. Dr. Somebody. Um, Uriah Hall and Le'Veon Bell had a weird fight. Um, Uriah Hall proving that you, there was a thought that if you take away the grappling, then, you know, he'll do the spectacular stuff. And it turns out if you can't grapple, it's just more time for him not to do stuff on the feet. Um, I mean, that was weird. Um, look, the main event was the selling point. Let's talk the main event. Very briefly. Jake Paul defeats Anderson Silva via, via unanimous decisions in over eight rounds. Um, there were, what, 277, 74s, and 178-73. Um, I'm. <clears throat> there were some people who went, you know, that 78-73 seems a little bit strong in favor of Paul. I might have been more partial to that. Now... First round is Jake Paul's, fairly low activity round. Second round goes to Anderson Silva, he starts coming forward a bit more. Third round, I gave it to Paul, uh, but that was a competitive round. Round four was very close, I leaned Paul again. Five, I think I gave to Silva. Six, I definitely, six I know I gave to Silva. So, I might have had it 3-3 after six. Then Anderson takes off the seventh, Paul wins the seventh. And 
So I had it 3-3 three, three or 4-2, and I think either is acceptable after 6. Be clear about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because I think I had it 3-2 Paul after 5. So Silva would have stolen the 5th. I'd have to double check that again. I wasn't I wasn't writing down my round by round scores in real time. I know a couple of them because I was talking with a friend about it uh, online as it was kind of happening. So then in the eighth round, very early in the round, Anderson uh, Jay Paul knocks down Anderson Silva with a right hand, gets in the 10-8, secures the round. Um, I actually don't object to 78-73. Look, the two rounds that Silva won. On that particular scorecard, he won clearly again. This would be round two and round five. He won those very clearly. Very clearly. There's a couple of other rounds that maybe Silva might have stolen. Again, the, uh, the sixth I thought was pretty close. Anderson could have easily stolen that. And stolen's a bit of a strong word. He could have taken that one. But he didn't win the first, clearly. He didn't win the seventh, Clearly. He got dropped in the 8th and lost that round 10-8. Uh, yeah, I, this was Jake Paul's fight. Anderson's inactivity got to him at times. And that was a problem. Paul... Um, his jab is actually okay. He looked a lot better. Here's the big takeaway. I mean, I don't want to get into this forever. Here's my big takeaway from this. If you watch Jake Paul versus from the first Tyron Woodley fight to the second Tyron Woodley fight to this fight, he has made significant improvements. He's much better. He was much better here than he was when he fought Woodley the second time. Much. I mean, to be candid, if the if he was the same version of himself that fought Woodley either time, Silva would have beat him. Uh, to Jake Paul's credit, he wasn't. His jab's not bad. He's got some power. He landed some body shots here that I thought were pretty good. Um, his ring craft still needs some work, but he didn't get corralled as often as... I don't know if this was an Anderson thing or a Jake thing, but he'd been back to the ropes a lot more uh, in easier in previous fights, so a little bit better in that respect. His gas tank held up. He'd kind of slowed down in other fights. I mean, there's still places, obviously, where you have to regulate your energy, but he didn't gas. Um, I like, again, I like the body work. Anytime he was throwing, like, three or more punches, he was landing. Anytime he was single-shotting, it was a little bit iffy. Again, the jab kind of was working for him. But anytime it was just a one-two or a fake into a left hook, he was really struggling to land those. In fact, Anderson was so confident in his read on that left hook, if Paul had a read on Anderson, you show the left hook, get him to duck, because that's what he was doing, and you throw the uppercut, the right uppercut instead, he would have ducked right into it. Right into it. Now, that's a more advanced read, especially in real time. Like That's easier to see from the camera perspective than from the fight perspective but uh a read that maybe he could have tried to make i don't know maybe he just doesn't like his uppercut who knows um liked his body shots at distance at distance things were kind of going paul's way 
Anderson's infighting um, was very good here. It was very good. He was very... Anytime they got close, he got... There was some clinching early, and to Jake Paul's credit, finding the clinch is an important part of boxing. Once Anderson kind of realized what was going on there, he stopped letting Paul actually get the kind of clinch that the ref has to break. Which is a, one, not terribly surprising given Anderson's long history of clinch fighting. He's very good there. But doing that in boxing, like being able to stay close and not let the other guy actually tie up, that's a very difficult skill. And some of this is Jake Paul not being the most sophisticated pursuer of the clinch. Some of this is Anderson Silva just being really darn good. Um, again, his infighting was good. His uppercuts from that range were money. He was landing them pretty consistently. His defense at range was, you know, it was okay. His shoulder rolling was pretty good. You know, he took a lot of punches. A lot of punches partially landed, which is kind of what you want to do with a shoulder roll. You get it to hit the shoulder, and if it hits your head, it's you know, a lot of the energy is deflected or absorbed by the shoulder rather than your head, which is much better to get hit in the shoulder than the head. But, again, he, anytime Paul was throwing more than one or two, he was kind of starting to land because Silva's defense was, kind of, was a little bit predicated on some of that single or double shotting rather than actual combinations. Um, and look, man, Anderson Silva, God bless him, he's 47 years old. And he came out there and they had a fight. And Silva, and again, he got dropped, got dropped clean. I mean, there's MMA fans, I beg of you, I beg of you, I beg of you. Don't be weird about this. I know a bunch of you have already. Like, oh, Anderson, you know, took the bag to take a dive, kind of looking at that right hand that dropped him. He got hit in the face in the eighth round of a fight by a guy who has power, and when he was a little bit out of position. That's how you get dropped. It happens. I don't care how good you are. Take the best fighter. In, the best fighters in the world don't get out of position, which is kind of why they don't get dropped all that often. That's a fundamental part of it, but if you take the best fighter in the world, get him a little bit out of position, and have a guy with power hit him in the head, he will drop. That's how, again, that's how you drop someone. Anderson Silva did not take a dive. He did not take a payout for this performance. He's just not... He's 47. Do you guys not remember the end of his MMA run? Do you not? I'm seriously asking this. Because I remember, and as heartbreaking as it was, especially for a guy who was there for Silva... I've said this many times. I know I watched MMA before this moment. But the... Uh, I know this because I actually watched part of Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin live. I think I caught it in the latter half of the first round and then watched the whole thing because, you know, I was a teenager at the time. I've been a little bit out of high school, I think. And, boy, that was just awesome. But I remember the first... I have a very crystallized memory of watching Anderson Silva's UFC debut. Again, I'd watched MMA before that in kind of various different contexts and here and there, but I remember watching him obliterate Chris Lieben. I vividly remember that. And, again, watched it before, and I watched more after. Like, I started, you know, finding more because I was interested, finding it more and more and more. But 
I that that's one of my first very very clear memories of the sport is Anderson Silva. So I get that we all might want to kind of remember him as the best version of himself instead of how he went out of the UFC. I get it. I do. But this is reality, not your memory. He was badly slowing down by the end of his run. He wasn't pulling the trigger as often as he used to. His chin was not what it used to be. His reflexes were not what they used to be. He's old. And MMA is so cyclical in terms of its fan base. There's so much turnover. I don't think there's a lot of fans who stick around long enough to watch these guys actually get old. I'm not saying there's none of them. I'm not saying there's none of us that do that. But I don't think there's a lot of us either, right? Like, the casual fan base makes up the largest percentage of the MMA fandom. And the current casual fan base mostly came in... We're a little bit post the Connor boom. But, like, that's kind of the last big wave that we had. I think we're waiting for the next whatever we want to call it. Whatever impetus there is at the next iterate to get the next generation of MMA fans in. I think we are in a little bit of a lull between fan base surges in that respect. Which happens. happens all the time, especially in this sport. But the number of people who... Look, if you checked out of MMA when Connor started, you know, losing and kind of went off the rails a little bit... Like, Connor's not old. You didn't watch Connor McGregor get old. I watched Chuck Liddell get old. I watched BJ Penn get old. And yeah, I watched Anderson Silva get old. He's old. And that sucks. Because we remember them at their best. But that ain't reality, guys. Silva did not take a dive. He's just not who he used to be. And a younger, stronger, bigger fighter. I don't say, not necessarily taller, but again, bigger. Jake's the bigger guy. You know, uh, Jake Paul usually, I think, fights you know, right, 190s, right? Somewhere that right, uh, right around cruiserweight. This was a catch weight at 180-something. So Jake cut some weight for this fight. Bigger guy. Younger guy, 22 years younger. Anderson was fighting professionally probably, I think, before Jake Paul was born. You know, in the same vein, like in the boxing world, man, I watch, I've seen boxers get old too. Great. If you didn't watch the end of Muhammad Ali's career, and I I watched this chronologically, so I, I I wasn't really alive for a lot of it, but... If you didn't see him at the end, I was sad. I was just sad. I don't even mean like the end of his life with Parkinson's and whatnot. I mean watching him in the ring at the end. It was kind of sad. He was old. You know what happens? uh, How long... Roy Jones Jr. stuck around way too long. He got old. That was sad. A little bit for Bernard Hopkins, too. Yeah, it just... It happens, man. And I don't... And there's a lot of reverence for Anderson Silva, and deservedly so. But he got old, guys. Got old a while ago. I don't know 
who needs to hear that? But that's what happened here. He fought in a different sport. Again, if this was an MMA fight, Jake Paul's not actually... If this was an MMA fight, things might have been different. Might have been very different. But Anderson's chin against four-ounce gloves has not been holding up. His chin against, you know, boxing gloves did seem to be okay. Combined with his defense and whatnot. But he took on a younger, stronger, technically bigger guy in boxing. And he lost. And, I don't know. Again, for some of you, maybe you didn't see... Maybe you weren't really, like, you didn't see Fedor get old. Because you weren't watching him a lot. Or, you know, BJ Penn... You don't think of BJ Penn as getting old, maybe? I don't know. Maybe you don't think of him that way. Uh, guys, Frank... Look... He's going to be fighting pretty soon, but Frankie Edgar's about to retire. Frankie Edgar got old. I remember his, you know, prime, man. I remember him as the champion. And his run-up to it. Like I, I remember that. He got old. He's old now. It happens. It happens to all of us. We're all going to get there. I don't know if this isn't a bunch of, like... MMA fans, especially older MMA fans, like vicariously struggling with their own like midlife crisis. Dude, for a 47-year-old man, Anderson Silva, one, is still pretty darn good. But two, is 47. This happens. This is what happens. There was no shenanigans here. There was no chicanery. There was no payout. There was no rigging it with the judges. Just... Shut up, guys. You know what? I'm, in all seriousness, I am happy for Anderson Silva here. He got a payday that probably equals his best UFC payout. Be my hunch. Um, so again, somewhere in the four million dollar range. Dude, Jake Paul gave Ben Askren his biggest payday ever. Tyron Woodley has... I would imagine at least one of those fights with Woodley was the biggest payday Woodley's ever had. I think Woodley mentioned that. And now he gave Anderson Silva his biggest payday ever. And yeah, I'm not saying that that was great for you know, Woodley's brain health to get knocked out or Ben Askren. But... Or you know, even Anderson, in this case, to take some of the punches he took. But somehow, this... I don't mean this derisively, but you all do. This YouTube kid is giving the leg some, you know, older, in the case of Anderson, absolutely a legend, a slightly more graceful exit than the UFC. What did the UFC do? A little bit of promotional material and then threw him in there against, wasn't Uriah Hall? Yeah, it was Uriah Hall. On a, what's that, an Apex show? Like an event at the Apex? On a fight night? You tell me. You, t you tell me which has more... Which is a more appropriate send-off in terms of, like, pageantry and whatnot. A fight night and a, whatever, $200,000 payout that he got for losing. I, I forget exactly what he was making at the time, but I imagine it was around that. And, you know, in front of, you know, 20 guys at the Apex, or even in a loss in front of a big crowd getting a $4 million payday and not embarrassing himself in a boxing ring.
He did not embarrass himself. You tell me. Just the, the reaction to this, just the denial, the stupidity. It, it got to me a little bit here. Yeah, Anderson's a legend, and we all loved him. And I was emotionally prepared for him to get knocked out. That's half what I expected. I'm going to be very, very honest here. I half expected Jake Paul to flatline him. He didn't. He lost. He lost a competitive fight. He lost an entertaining fight. I mean, this is not high-level boxing. You want high-level boxing? I already told you. Lomachenko-Ortiz. Great fight. Great high-level boxing. This was not a glorified tough man fight. There was actual boxing going on here. And it turned out to be an entertaining fight. I I hate to... I mean, look, maybe not for you and fair enough. I mean, I'm not the supreme arbiter of entertainment. But I think by most reasonable standards, that was an entertaining fight. Especially down the stretch. That heated up. But no, no. Anderson took a payout. The... the Promotional powers that be are behind the YouTube kids. Just shut up, please. I mean this in all sincerity. You are just embarrassing yourselves. Knock it off. Uh, after the fight, Jake Paul called out Nate Diaz. That is the pretty obvious fight to make next. Go for it. That will... You know what? Again, I've... I have defended Jake Paul, and actually Logan to some extent, in the following ways on the show. I actually became aware of Logan Paul through his big controversy where he blogged in front of, a, where he like had a Vine or a vlog, Vine, I think he was a Vine guy back in the day, in front of the, uh, the man who committed suicide in the Japanese forest, right? Like, I know that Logan Paul had a degree of fame, a pretty big degree of fame within his bubble, right? And within his bubble, he was a pretty big deal. Getting outside of your bubble like that, the first impression people get of you when you break out of your bubble into the wider bubble is a big deal. And he had a very, very negative first impression to a lot of people. I mean, I'd never heard of him before I heard, before that controversy spun up. And I, you know, I'm still not here to advocate on behalf of either of the Paul brothers as human beings. If you don't like them, fine. Not here to convince you that they're decent human beings. I don't know that they are. I don't know that they aren't. Here's the only thing I know. I've said this before, so I'm repeating myself a little bit. What they do is hard. I have heard more... I've heard several interviews, not just with them, but then the people who interviewed them kind of being candid about the experience of interviewing them and what they talked about. What they do is hard. Filming as often as they do, editing as often as they do, uploading as often as they do is very difficult. I've done a very little bit of editing and video editing. Very little. And I, I don't do it... Um, I, I don't. I find it... It's very difficult for me. I find it a bit tedious. And again, shooting all that to begin with is hard. Like, what they do is hard. That is hard work. It's not bricklaying. It's not construction. It's not, you know, soul-crossing the way that, like, elements of social work are or teaching can be. So when I say it's hard work, again, this is, I am not 
pretending that there's not other stuff that is more difficult in different ways. I am saying, if you think success in what the Paul brothers do is easy, you are fooling yourself. You're absolutely fooling yourself. That is not easy. Success is incredibly... You are more likely... Not a joke here, for the record. You are actually more likely to be drafted into the NFL than to find success on YouTube. The odds are more in your favor to become an NFL player. If you play football, you have a better shot of making it to the NFL than any one random person does of making it big on YouTube. That's not a joke. That is math. Their success is hard-earned, and it is not accidental. And Jake, whatever else you want to say about him, hard worker, and I don't mean that pejoratively or as like cover for grudging respect. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying that guy works hard, he's willing to work hard, and he has dedicated himself to this endeavor. That will bear fruit. If you show up to the gym every day to work on your skills, you will get better. If you've got a good, if you've got a good trainer, a good coach, and you're dedicated to it, and you put in the time, you put in the effort, you will improve. This is this is demonstrable across all of humanity. Right? You out there listening, you want to get better at fighting? Find a gym. Guarantee you, there's one in your area. There's one within a reasonable drive. Barring like the three of you that live in the middle of Wyoming, in which case I apologize, it's not for you. But for the vast majority of us, dude, I don't live in a big I don't live in a big city. Okay, I live about an hour away from Salt Lake City, Utah. That's as clo- that's as much as I choose to give out about my location. But I live about an hour away from Salt Lake City. There are three different combat sports gyms. That are within about 15 to 20 minutes of my drive. Uh, drive for me. If you want to get better, you can find one of these places. Go there. Go there regularly. And you will get better. Again, how, how good will you get? Who knows? There's physical limitations. There's desire limitations like there's a bunch of other stuff here that goes into this i'm not pretending there isn't but if you're willing to work hard and put in the time and you have good people around you to help you in this endeavor you will get better jake paul's gotten better that's all there is to that a fight with between him and nate diaz that will be very successful financially let's not pretend otherwise it'll be a big deal so that fight happened if you want to look it up again, it's actually not a it's not a boring fight, if nothing else. Like, there's stuff that happens, so. Yeah, there was that again. Paul and Diaz seems like what's next. Fair enough. Uh, again, it'll do well, I'm sure. Paul might win that, too. I mean, Nate's face is a mess. I mean, that guy gets cut easy. Nate's, Nate's pace and pressure will be a will be a difficulty for Jake. I mean, because Nate, if nothing else, man, he's he's going to come forward. He's going to keep a pace on you. Nothing else. He's going to do that. But, yeah, Jake's big, man, and Jake has power. And Nate, 
Nate's boxing is not great. It looks good in the MMA context, but only in the MMA context. Again, I'm not saying he couldn't win some boxing fights. He can. He might... He might even beat Jake, but because if he does, it's not going to be like the science of boxing that's on his side. It's going to be a lot more the dog and the pace. And hey, that's not nothing. I mean that that is that is something to consider. So that was that. It happened. Um, all right, let's move on to the preview for this coming event. Wow, I promised you a short show. I am not delivering. Well, this won't take long. UFC on ESPN plus 72. This fight lost its main event over the last little bit. We were supposed to get Bryce Mitchell and Movsar Vloyev. Sadly, uh, Vloyev had some kind of an injury. The bout was scrapped. Mitchell will now fight Ilya Teporia at some other date. Our new main event. Strap yourselves in for this one, boys and girls. Marina Rodriguez and Amanda Lamosh. Alright, this is not actually a bad fight for strawweight. Rodriguez has only lost ever to Esparza via split decision. I thought she won that fight. She beat Yan Xiaonan in her last fight. She has a win over Mackenzie Dern, a win over Michelle Watterson. Like, she's on a pretty good run, and she might get a title shot if she wins here. Lemos, by contrast, has a loss to Jessica Andrade. She beat Michelle Watterson her last time out. But her only, she only lost twice. Uh, once fighting her UFC debut, fighting Leslie Smith. So up at bantamweight. Yeah. She returned to strawweight, went on a running, and she has the loss to Andrade. But other than that. So we might get a title challenger out of this that's somewhat pursuant to a few other fights lit, uh, still waiting to pan out in the division. But we might. If Rodriguez wins, I think she should get it, personally. That said, this is not exactly a uh, scintillating main event on paper. My hunch is Rodriguez. I don't dislike Lemos, but five rounds in a long time. She's long, though. She's got good... I'm going to go with Rodriguez, but this is... My lack of enthusiasm should not disguise the fact that this is a relevant fight for the division, and it's a pretty well-matched-up fight. So, again, setting aside my cynicism... And whatnot. Um, not a terrible fight. I lean towards Rodriguez. Co-main event, best fight on the card. Neil Magny and Daniel Rodriguez at welterweight. Pretty big fight for Rodriguez. He's coming off that win over Li Jing Leong. Um, Magny's coming off of a loss to Shavkat Rachmanov. Boy, Rachmanov. That's somebody... That boy's coming on. <laughs> that guy might be champion before too long. Just throwing that out there. Um, Rodriguez is on a pretty decent run himself. In fact, he's only lost once in the UFC. He's on a four-fight winning streak at the moment. Yeah, the fight with Li Jing Leong was close. Um, but they both took that, like, the switch of opponents last minute, like, the way that whole thing went down. I'm going to lean towards Rodriguez here. Uh, I, I like Rodriguez's abilities. I've, I've said that before. But this is a big, this is a pretty big step up for him. Magny's a hard guy to beat. So that's a good that's a good fight. I wish that was the main event, to be candid. They might not have wanted to bump up to five rounds on relatively short notice, and I completely understand that. So not no shade there if that was the calculus, but I do wish that was the main event personally. Uh, flyweights, uh Tiger Ulan Bekov and Nate Manus. What do we got here? Ulan Bekov coming off a loss to Tim Elliott. 
won his other two UFC fights were as Manus. Um, he's returning to flyweight after some couple of fights at Bantamweights. He's coming off a loss to Umar Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov ragdolled him. I remember that. Um, hmm. I think I'm going to lean towards... Double-check him back off real fast. Yeah, I think I am going to lean towards Ulan Bekov. Um, just a hair. Uh, we have a catchweight fight of 222 pounds. I don't know why Jailton Almeida is making people do this. Um, but at 222, Jailton Almeida will fight Maxim Grishin. Pretty easy pick for... Uh, Almeida here. Grishin's not bad. Um, he's kind of, he's more like bounced a little bit between heavyweight and light heavyweight. Um, he's got wins. He's got some good wins. Um, but, I mean, Almeida's looks to be very legitimate, so I'm picking Almeida. That's the current main card. We have so we don't actually have a finalized bout order here for all of this. So that's our main card as it stands. I'm going to go over the prelims and then the announced bouts. So um, preliminary cards: we have Derek Minner and Shyla Nerdon Becky. I think that's Minner. As far as the pick goes, Minner's had a tough couple of fights. Losses to Darren Elkins and Ryan Hall. He's a grappler, and again, trying to just out grapple your way through Darren Elkins when your cardio doesn't. Is enough to snuff is tough, and then trying to grapple Ryan Hall is not impossible, but that's a that's a pretty big ask. Whereas Nerdon Beke is two and one in the UFC. He's on a two fight winning streak. Yeah, that that's that's Minner. That said though, that's not Minner by that's that's not a that's not like yeah Minner that's not a giant pick for Minner, but it is a pick for him. At strawweight, Poliana Viana and Jin Yu Frey. Viana. Viana's had a rough go of it in the UFC. Coming off that loss to Tabitha Ricci. Fry coming off a loss to Vanessa Demopoulos. I'm going to pick. Yeah, I'm going to pick Viana here. Fry's. You have to get Fry down, but her grappling has been a little bit. There's been exploitable issues there. And a bantamweight fight between Ramona Pasquale, women's bantamweight, sorry, Ramona Pasquale and Tamiris Vidal. I think I'll pick Pasquale there, but eh, she's not looked great. Our announced bouts, these do not have a, again, a specific bout order for them. Um, bantamweights, Benito Lopez and Mario Bautista. That's not terrible. Um, Lopez, give me off a win. I remember Benito Lopez. Hmm. Uh, Bautista. Been with the UFC for a while. Uh, not a bad record, actually. I think I'll pick Batista here. Wait, Lopez has been out for a while, hasn't he? Yeah, Lopez hasn't fought since July of 19. 40 months. Jeez. Yeah, picking Batista, but if Lopez used that time to improve, um, he had some skills. Uh, also, bantamweight Johnny Munoz Jr. and Ludovic Sh uh, Sh whoa, Sholinan. 
yeah, shoulder none. Sorry, the I uh, kind of got lost there on my screen. Uh, Munoz losses to Nate Madison, Tony Gravely, one win in the UFC. Yeah, I think it's Sholanon. Uh, women's flyweight, Miranda Maverick and Shanna Young. Feels like Maverick. I mean, <laughs> sorry, her loss to, Marant, to Macy Barber is officially listed as a robbery on her Wikipedia, and I appreciate the humor. I thought she won that fight. I don't quite think it rose to robbery. Just really didn't agree with that one. Um, whereas Young, coming off a win over Gina Mazzani, but... Like, that's her first UFC win? Yeah, Maverick. Flyweights, Jake Hadley and Carlos Candelario. I think that's Candelario. Heavyweights, God help us. Chase Sherman and Josh Parisian. Mr. Sherman. Yeah, he beat Jared Vanderez last time out to end a four-fight losing streak. And put... <laughs> and put Vanderez on a four-fight losing streak. Yeah. And then there's Parisian, um, who lost to Parker Porter and Dante Mays. I'm going to pick Sherman. Yeah, just, just don't let it go long. That's all I ask. And a lightweight fight is actually a good fight. Uh, I imagine this will be our other fight on the main card, be my hunch. Mark Madsen and Grant Dawson. At lightweight. Dawson has yet to taste defeat in the UFC. 18-1 and one overall. He has a draw with Ricky Glenn. He, that was a fair draw. Like he, he struggled mightily in the third round there. Glenn put it on him. Uh, he beat Jared Gordon his last time out. Dawson's quite good. Madsen, you Olympian. Uh, silver medalist in Greco-Roman. Multiple silvers at the World Championships. Undefeated, 12-0, coming off a win over Vince Pichel. He beat Clay Guida before that. A good fight. This is a good fight. Madsen showed some cardio issues a little bit in his last couple of fights. I mean, he still won them, to his credit, but... Dawson's got cardio issues, too. This is all about pace. The more controlled the pace, the more it favors Madsen. Would be my hunch here. Let me a quick look at Dawson again. He looked pretty good against Gordon. I actually am going to lean towards Dawson here. I mean, Madsen, bless him, he's 38. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty rough ask. I'm going to lean towards Dawson here, but... Again, that's a good fight. That's a very good fight. So, this is not a very compelling card on paper. There's some gems hidden throughout, and let's just really hope for good action. Because not much there on paper to get your interest going. I will be covering that Saturday, November 5th, in the MMAZone of 411mania.com. Please do stop by, say hello, I always appreciate that. Alright, let's check. I don't actually have news uh, items here. It's a very slow news week. A lot of stuff was kind of focused around Paul and Silva as the big news spectacle, so I don't have an injury update on Calvin Cater, or I would be... Yeah, I would have given that, but let me check, see if anything crazy is broken in the MMA world. If not, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope, so, plugs. Let's see, last week, myself and Mark Radlich reviewed Black Adam, uh, the DC movie starring The Rock. 
Uh, that was fun, so give that a listen. Type Damn You Hollywood into your podcast platform of choice or YouTube, and you can find us there. Let's see. This week, the usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. MLW, if they start releasing content again on Thursday. WWE SmackDown on Friday. Um, this SmackDown was recorded this last Friday, so because Sweet Sweet Saudi Blood Money is coming up on Saturday, and they couldn't do a show Friday evening and then fly to Saudi Arabia for the show on Saturday. That's just not feasible, so. Understandable. Completely understandable. Anyway, uh, so I will be covering that. Um, on the podcasting front, what do I got this week? Uh, myself, Mark Radulich, and I believe Jason Teasley will be reviewing Pray for the Devil on November 1st. Yes, we will. Um, and I think that's it for me. Yes, there's a few other stuff that is coming up that we're going to do, but that alone for the moment. Yeah. So that's what's coming up for me on podcasting front for the again for the immediate future tune in for that that should be a good time all right that's it for me uh, well i will also of course be covering wwe wwe i'll be covering ufc on espn plus 72 saturday tune in for that we will be back here next week we will review ufc on espn plus 72 and we will preview UFC 281. Another one of these cards that's ridiculously stacked, and all of these prelims are all of these like in-between fight nights are suffering. Two title fights, also Poirier versus Chandler. Full preview for that big event next week. Should be a good one. UFC's kind of winding down on the year because they've got the November 19th card. And then. If one on December, they have two more. Yeah, December, and there's the December 10th pay-per-view. There's 282. I think that's it. That's not, no, there's one on the 17th. Jeez, now we're pushing it this year. That's not a very compelling card. I mean, there's some good stuff there. And it, uh, there's a couple of good fights on that one. Then, yeah, then it's off until the 14th, so... UFC trying to squeeze in all of their contractually mandated events. All right. We'll be back next week for that review preview. Until then, as always, I thank you for listening. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.